Hello, and welcome to Conversations from the World of Allergy, a podcast produced by the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. I'm your host, Dave Stukas. I'm a board-certified allergist and immunologist and serve as the social media medical editor for the Academy. Our podcast series will use different formats to interview thought leaders in the world of allergy and immunology. This podcast is not intended to provide any individual medical advice to our listeners. We do hope that our conversations provide evidence-based information. Any questions pertaining to one's own health should always be discussed with their personal physician. The Find an Allergist search engine on the Academy website is a useful tool to locate a listing of board-certified allergists in your area. Finally, use of this audio program is subject to the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology Terms of Use Agreement, which you can find at www.aaai.org. Today's edition of our Conversations from the World of Allergy podcast series is targeted towards both healthcare professionals as well as the general public, and I think you're going to see why. We're going to have wonderful tips to help all of us get through the holiday season. Today's guest is Dr. Kara Wada. Dr. Wada is a clinical assistant professor of medicine in the Division of Allergy and Immunology and Department of Otolaryngology at Wexner Medical Center at the Ohio State University College of Medicine in Columbus, Ohio. At her institution, Dr. Wada also serves as the Associate Program Director for the Allergy and Immunology Fellowship Training Program. Dr. Wada is involved in several American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology committees and has a very strong interest in medical education. Dr. Wada, thank you so much for taking time to join us and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Dr. Sukas. Yeah, I think this is going to be a great conversation filled with useful tips. I've heard you have this conversation numerous times and you're, you're an expert at it. So that's why I wanted to have you on uh, to discuss and help all of us out. We've got a lot of ground to cover today. I thought I would just start by asking you to describe some of the more common chronic allergic conditions and how they impact patients on a day-to-day basis. Uh, So the common allergy conditions that I'm seeing day in and day out in the office are runny, stuffy noses, um, itchy, watery eyes, asthma, so trouble breathing, food allergies, and increasingly other digestive issues related to foods that may or may not involve our immune system at all, chronic hives, something that I commonly see people struggle with, um, and I think those are the, the high points. Uh, so basically the upper and lower respiratory tract, the skin, yes. and the gut. Yes, all of the ways that our body interfaces with the outside world. That's a lot. And there's a lot of people that suffer from the, these chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. So for those who, who have symptoms or different allergic conditions, can you describe the difference between maintenance regimens and how they differ from more of like an acute treatment plan? And why is it important for people with these various allergic conditions and asthma to have both of these in place? Uh, so when we think about allergic conditions, they are all characterized by typically too much chronic inflammation. And when we think about, you know, how there there's too much of this going on, we want to turn down the volume and we need to do that on a regular basis. That's our maintenance, our everyday habits that can be really helpful for our health. And then, you know, sometimes we have a viral infection, we get thrown off of our routine, just bad luck, and we have a flare up or, you know, a real increase in those symptoms, you know, really bad congestion with a cold, asthma exacerbation, you know, related to pollen season or our eczema flares up, you know, for, for whatever reason as well. And then we need something to really in that moment, help put the fire out. And so that is our flare care routine. 
how do you describe this to the patients that you see? Because that's the hard part, right? It, you know, you live mm-hmm. with this every single day. So do you use certain like uh, phrases? Or do you call it like preventative yeah. therapy or, or tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so I really love, I love and I'm fascinated, especially the last few years about behavioral science, learning how our brains work and how we can help ourselves in part because habits are those things we do every day without much conscious input. And so I really talk a lot about our maintenance therapies as needing to just become part of the habits that we do day in and day out. I know that every morning I am going to go over to the coffee maker area because I want my coffee. And that's where I have my daily medications because I know I'm there. It's able, I'm able to put that together. So that's how I frame kind of our maintenance medication conversation. And when I think about flare care, I'll talk a lot about having our parachutes. So when we feel like we're free falling, that we have something that's going to help us cushion, you know, that fall and bring us back down to earth in, uh, in one piece. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. So already I'm, I'm going to steal three things from you. So we're <laughs> trying to create new habits. Yeah. Uh, which, as we all know, takes, you know, consistent behavior for prolonged periods of time. Uh, you said flare care, which I love, and then parachutes. Oh, this is this is gonna be so great. Okay, so let's go back to something that you sort of already touched upon. And just the general nature of the holiday season. I mean, this this creates havoc with all of us in our schedules. So how can this impact adherence with some of these uh you know, these new habits that we're trying to create or the, the daily medications or treatment plans? Yeah, so it's really hard. And what I've noticed um, in my own behavior over the years is when we travel or we, you know, have some sort of change in our everyday routine, which the holidays is notorious for. We have different parties and social gatherings, travel, um, time off of work, which is all wonderful but it takes us out of our typical routines. And it's really easy then to fall out of that, those habits that are helpful. And so we have to be extra mindful as we are going into the holidays, knowing that we're going to have some of those um, extra, uh, you know, rocks along the path that we're going to have to, you know, kind of uh, overcome and deal with um, in keeping our, allergy conditions under control. Um, And I know we're going to dig into in the conversation as well, but there are a lot of things that are part of our traditions too, that um, also just don't help us in in, in other ways too, outside of the habits side of things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned about all the the gatherings and things like that. And I don't know about you, but I I tend to get a little more stressed during this time of the year. It's all good stuff, but my goodness, it it just, it stresses our our normal resources and capacity to kind of handle and all the little things that come our way. Um, So how does stress impact allergic conditions and asthma? Yeah. So I talk about stress with our patients. You know, a lot of times this comes up so often in the conversation with chronic hives where people will be told by friends or family, like, oh, these, I was told these are stress hives. And I always go back to, you know, stress didn't like, didn't spark the fire, but it certainly can be lighter fluid on a situation. And um, we don't want to use kind of uh, stress as, you know, to weaponize it to say, oh, you did this to yourself. And yet we do know that stress has, you know, vast implications on how our immune system functions when we are under long-term stress, we become more susceptible to infections. We have um, less, you know, control 
um, of our, you know, day-to-day symptoms, more prone to flares. So learning and, you know, acquiring a set of tools that help you effectively manage the stressors that we're going to have throughout our lives is really helpful for the long term. Um, are you willing to share anything that you you found particularly helpful, yeah. whether it's mindfulness practice or meditation yeah. or anything like that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, over the last several years, have developed, uh, a, you know, as part of one of my daily must have daily habits is some some mindfulness time. So to, I'll tend to listen to like a free recording on, you know, some of the free apps that are out there. Um, little guided meditation. And sometimes, you know, I make it through that 10 minutes um, without much interruption. Sometimes I have my five-year-old in my lab wiggling around or my two-year-old, you know, and realizing that um, some is better than none and um, perfection is the enemy of good. So um, the other thing that I have found really helpful and this is more geared towards clinicians, is if I know I'm going in to have a more challenging conversation with a patient or a family, I will just take 30 seconds before I put my hand on that doorknob or knock, um, and I'll feel my feet in my shoes, kind of just feel myself on planet Earth, you know, kind of in in that kind of a grounding exercise, just feel um, present in that moment. And that's really helpful. at centering myself and being able to be fully present with that family in the office too. Oh boy, that's such great advice. I I found if I open my email inbox in, in the middle of or after a busy day of seeing patients, I get those I get the knot on my shoulders and I tense up and I I've caught myself I forget to breathe in those moments. Uh, and just taking a few minutes to just do some box breathing, boy, that that it doesn't make the emails go away, but it makes it a little more tangible. That's me with my epic inbox. So I feel that to my core. Hey, yeah, there you go. We're all people too, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So you, you've already described some general ways in which uh, the millions of adults and children, or frankly, all of us, uh, you know, or those with living with eczema, allergic rhinitis, food allergies, asthma, et cetera, can be impacted during the holiday season. I'd like to discuss some more specific topics related mm-hmm. to various conditions during this time of the year. So let's start with, you, you talked about the skin. So how can cold weather in general or weather changes impact eczema and asthma? Yeah. So when we think about cold weather, um, it's also drier air. So that really impacts um, our our skin health and our respiratory health. So I am someone who suffers from dry skin, thankfully not eczema, but dry skin and um, exercise-induced asthma. And so what I've noticed is that when it is cold and dry, I am definitely needing to be more diligent about that everyday maintenance care that we've talked about. So what does that look like? It is making sure that I'm not cranking up the heat on the shower, even though it's so good in the moment, it's not good for my skin um, because it is essentially melting away those protective oils and ceramides that are going to help lock in some of that moisture. As soon as I get out of the shower, I'm patting dry. I'm putting on a nice, thick, uh, fragrance-free lotion, kind of head to toe. Um, I'm also making sure to hydrate. So I have right here, I know we're audio only, but I have my glass of water handy, and um, I'm extra cognizant of that. And if I am going to be doing um, some more exercising, um, especially exercising that gets my my breathing, you know, really kind of and heart pumping, like 
um, like a hit workout or something. Um, I am more conscientious of making sure I have my rescue inhaler handy. And if I'm outside, I'm thinking about wearing a, a face mask or covering to help, um, just to help my lungs out, help my respiratory tract out that little bit more. Um, increasingly, I talk with patients about how our noses um, and our sinuses, you know, those nasal passageways, their purpose is to condition air before it gets to our lungs. And so it needs to warm it up. It needs to humidify it. It needs to filter out all the other, you know, particulate in the air, pollens, air pollution. Um, and so using a mask in winter is uh, going to, you know, especially if it's extra cold or a scarf around your face um, can be really helpful to just give yourself a leg up. I think that's all great advice. I actually read something this morning. It was a, a, an analogy I not heard it before of, with the hot showers because we all love hot showers and so many of our patients, you know, in the wintertime, uh, it's hard to get them to stop taking the hot showers, but it really dries their skin out. So the analogy was when we're trying to remove grease from pans and cookware, <laughs> we turn the temperature up, right? So the yeah. hot temperature. So like you said, the hot temperature is, is getting rid of a lot of those um, ceramides and protective layers mm -hmm. to our skin. So I, I thought that was very uh, a good way of describing yeah. it. And I forgot to mention, you know, for most of us in our modern lives, we're not getting that dirty. Like mm -hmm. we, it, it's not like we're working, you know, most of us aren't working jobs where we're getting visible dirt on our skin. Uh, you know, rinse off for most of our body is plenty and we can use, you know, a, a body bar, kind of a, a moisturizing type soap um, just in those areas that get swelly, sweaty and smelly um, and, and visibly dirty. Oh, I'm not going to tell my teenage son that you said that because his showers are short enough already, but, uh, excellent. Excellent. We <laughs> <laughs> still look forward to in our house. Oh my gosh. Um, all right. So the holiday season is associated with so many great smells. I mean, I think we all have fond memories and we have our favorites. We, you know, there's spices and for me, it's peppermints and scented candles and other types of aerosols that people put in their homes to celebrate the season. And although many of these really smell good to some people, can they actually pose a hazard to those with say allergic rhinitis, chronic sinusitis or asthma? Absolutely. So when we think about, you know, some of these smells, one thing I think is always important to remember if you see fragrance listed as an ingredient on any type of product, so personal care, you know, candle, that um, that is actually a mixture of dozens of different chemicals um, that uh, have some physiologic, you know, potential consequences. So we don't always know what is all in that. Fragrance is a catch-all term is one of the most um, common contact allergens. So it's a common trigger for eczema. It's irritating to our skin. It also can be irritating to our respiratory tract, especially if that respiratory tract is already inflamed because of allergies or non-allergic inflammation. Um, so um, it's important to be mindful and, um, you know, I think be conscientious, especially if you're having family members over, um, can be, you know, really thoughtful just to reach out and say, hey, you know, I know you have some, you know, asthma or no stuff you know, do fragrances bother you? Um, and considering kind of turning those off, turning down the volume, if, um, if you have family in town, um, just be conscientious. Mm -hmm. And uh, what about essential oils or essential oil yeah. diffusion? Really yeah. essential for those with asthma and allergies? They are not essential. Um, you know, they are still substances that have physiologic effects. Um, and 
for and have the potential to be irritating to our respiratory tract, just like anything with fragrance as well. So it goes back to this idea that, you know, natural makes us feel better, but in reality, natural doesn't mean safe um, and doesn't mean safe for everyone. Um, so I'd say proceed with caution. The other thing that is really important is that essential oils um, do pose a problem when it comes to safety of our pets and our kids. Like if they mm. get, you know, the wrong little hands or um, paws, get a hold of them. Um, I'll, I'll never forget. So we do have full disclosure. We do have a little bit in our house and I'll never forget my now five-year-old was probably two at the time. I had just kind of ordered something, had it out for a second on the table. And before I knew it, Josie had it in her hands was opening the bottle and it was like as quick as could be. Um, And it was just this reminder that, you know, we need to be extra safe about putting these things up high, making sure they're out of reach of kids um, and just being really mindful about, um, their health implications. One of my favorite topics this time of year is something called Christmas tree syndrome. And I've heard you discuss this, which is why I actually thought of you for this topic. So what is this and why should people with allergies and asthma be aware of it? This, um, this is a fun question I was posing to patients pretty regularly for a while, um, there is an entity where some people will notice a flare up in their allergy or asthma symptoms around the holidays. And it can be related to some of the things that we bring into our homes this time of year, in particular, the Christmas tree. So traditionally, when we think about Christmas tree syndrome, we are referring to the symptoms that are occurring due to the molds that are found on a live Christmas tree. So when you bring that tree home from the Christmas tree farm or the lot. Um, It's been out in the cold, damp air. It's, you know, traveled from wherever the Christmas tree farm was. Um, And there are mold spores that are just naturally found on these trees. When we bring them into our house, into that warm environment, um, those mold spores are then able to essentially kind of reactivate um, and then trigger symptoms for those that are allergic to them. We also, though, now, you know, a lot of folks will have artificial trees. And so we've realized those artificial trees, you know, depending on their storage conditions, may have similar issues with mold or just dust and debris that have kind of gathered on them during the other 11 months of the year. Um, And so that may be a trigger for some folks' symptoms too. In addition to all that smelly stuff that you mentioned as well. Absolutely. So I didn't hear you mention pine pollen as a major cause. Correct. That is the big absence, right? Um, It's interesting. Pine pollen is actually quite large. So it it tends to be less of a problem than typical, but um, we don't see the the trees actually pollinating um, when we bring them inside. All right. Minds blown everywhere as people listen to that description. Thank you. (laughs) Meals and gatherings are a common way to celebrate the holiday season. This is what we do. We get together and we eat. Uh, But of course, you know, this can introduce risk for accidental ingestion of food allergens and just general discomfort for those people that are living with food allergies. What tips do you have to help those folks enjoy these types of engagements while also minimizing the risk for a reaction? So I think first and foremost, always be prepared, making sure that you have, if, if you are someone with a um, food allergy, making sure you have kind of your emergency plan reviewed, you have your epinephrine 
um, devices with you, that they are in date, that they're working, you know, where they're at, your loved ones, um, especially if little ones know how to use them. Um, I think that is kind of first and foremost in, in all of our plans. The other is really working on communicating your needs to your family um, and the, you know, the, the real health, uh, potential health consequences related to exposures. You know, I think there's, I see two extremes, some families who just don't take it seriously at all and don't respect um, that allergy. And then some who are um, hyper vigilant or kind of really um, extra concerned. Um, I think, you know, one thing as uh, a mom of a kiddo who now thankfully has outgrown her egg allergy, we would always keep a stash of snacks in the diaper bag um, so that little one always had something handy um, or some kind of celebratory, you know, treat uh, in the freezer so that there was something for her to enjoy um, and not feel left out. Um, but really communicating, having closed loop communication. So saying, hey, uh, I have a food allergy to X food. Um, does this contain that? Um, and, and double checking with that person. Um, it's okay to ask to review labels um, of what things have, you know, others have bought. And, you know, it's also okay if you so choose uh, to not, like, we don't need to be guilted into eating something too, just because, you know, um, auntie made a particular dish. Um, if it doesn't look safe, then it's not safe. There's yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, that's where communicating ahead of time can sometimes help with that. So it's it's very different when you're in the moment sitting down at a table with 12 other people trying to explain that, yes, your food allergy is actually real, as opposed to just, you know, knowing ahead of time what's going to be served and having safe food and things like that. So more great advice from you. Thank you. When uh, people are traveling, uh, what kinds of environmental allergens or other common irritants do um, hotel rooms often harbor? And how can people with allergies reduce their exposure and maintain their health while they're traveling during this busy time of year? So I think of hotel rooms primarily as a huge source of dust mite exposure. Mm. Um, in particular, we're not going to necessarily have like the pillow covers, mattress cover, you know, those sorts of things that we would be able to have at home. Good news is most hotels are pet free. So that, you know, does help you maybe minimize some of that exposure that you might have problems with staying with family. Um, but those, and then the scented um, products um, in hotels are another, you know, if you are someone with sensitive skin, bring your own toiletries um, because a lot of times those have uh, ingredients that your skin are, is not going to necessarily appreciate. At holiday gatherings, we sort of touched upon this, but let's discuss alcohol. Uh, it's just a common occurrence this time of year. Yeah. So what do what do people with food allergies or really any any type of allergic conditions in particular need to be aware of before they enjoy a festive libation? So, um, yes, it is uh, that season. So one thing to know is that certain cocktails are going to have food allergens as a main ingredient. Like there are quite a few holiday based cocktails, for instance, that involve dairy or eggs. 
So, or um, even certain nuts, you know, are part of the, the festivities. So just being cautious and knowing that beverages can also include food allergies. Over and, you know, and above that, um, alcohol makes us more susceptible to having allergic reactions and more severe reactions. So it kind of, um, you know, primes the pump when we think about those allergy cells and making them um, more apt you know, apt to trigger. Um, it also decreases our inhibition. So we may make more risky decisions and not think as critically about situations um, that may affect our health or um, increase our risk of an exposure to uh, a food allergen, for instance. Let's talk about sleep. Um, can you describe no, not only why sleep is important in relation to allergic conditions and asthma, but also how this time of year can often disrupt our normal sleep patterns? Yeah, so thinking about holiday parties and gatherings, um, if we are partaking in alcohol, a little more alcohol than usual, um, that certainly is going to throw off our, not only our bedtime, staying up later, but also decrease the uh, the quality of our sleep. So we know that even just one drink can really impair our body's ability to rest and to get really good quality rest. Um, stress also impacts our sleep. So we talked about the holidays being a stressful season, you know, trying to make these picture perfect memories for our families, which, um, you know, sometimes we put um, big expectations on something uh, that maybe we could, you know, back off from a little bit. Um, and sleep is critical in our immune system health. So we think about the um, interaction between our brain, our hormone system and our immune system, we see um, pretty significant changes in increasing our susceptibility to getting sick, um, viral infections. Um, we know that if you have a poor night's sleep, you're not going to mount as good of a response to like a flu vaccine, for instance. Um, and we may end up pushing ourselves, you know, to, to go to all the things, do all the things, um, end up exposed to viruses interacting with all those folks and then um, end up with a big flare of our allergy symptoms too. Yeah. You know, I, as you're discussing this, I was thinking, so three years ago, it's only been three years. Um, none of us got together for the holidays, right? Uh, they were just rolling out um, the early stages of immunizations for, for COVID-19. Two years ago, many of us were still not getting together uh, because of, you know, acute illnesses and lack of testing. We couldn't find testing anywhere before we we're getting together. And then last year, we kind of got back to, you know, normal patterns, for, you know, pre-pandemic. So what advice do you have if, if we have something planned, whether it's travel or we're going to go visit somebody and we're not feeling well, is there anything that we can do to kind of help keep everybody else healthy? I mean, I think it's reasonable to take a step back and reassess should we go or not? You know, I think that's the initial question. Is it is it worth going or not? Um, especially if you have um, people who are more susceptible to viral illnesses in particular, elderly grandparents, great-grandparents, those who have immune deficiencies, um, can think about testing for COVID, especially if you are, you know, headed to family and feeling stuffy or congested or um, just not well. Um, and consider, you know, ask, you know, masking and telling those that are more susceptible to mask, washing hands with soap and water, hugely underrated, 
It's a really helpful way to cut down on infections. Um, and you know, if you do have to cancel, maybe it's a postponing um, until folks are feeling better. Yeah, it, it's hard, right? Because we all we don't want to change our plans. But you know, I, I've been thinking about this as a you know plan to go visit my soon to be 87 year old father of, if any of us are acutely ill, we're, we're going to postpone. We're just going to wait and, and go back when everybody's feeling better. So it's hard, but uh, it, I think that's good advice. Now, you sort of touched upon this mostly in relation to like, you know, you use the analogy of as clinicians, uh, you know, before as you know, we're, we're dealing with stress and things and things like that. But, you know, the holiday spirit can be a bit much for, for any of us. Uh, so what are some other mindfulness, I'm sorry, mindfulness practices or other tips for any of us when we're feeling overwhelmed this time of year or anything that we can do to kind of recharge? Uh, so I think um, the one thing that I have been really leaning into this holiday season is gratitude. Mm. So taking a few minutes every day, we try to do this around the dinner table, um, you know, with kiddos ranging from age two to eight, the, you know, their interpretation of gratitude is a little different. Like what made you happy today? Um, but remembering all the things that, you know, are going okay or actually really well in life, I think is really helpful. The other thing that I think um, has been helpful as, you know, busy mom, um, I have, you know, kind of some health issues I've dealt with. I'm full-time physician, um, you know, a lot going on, but just remembering that, um, you know, what what is the reason for the season, whatever that is for you, um, whether it's a particular spiritual, religious, you know, connection or family um, and leaning into that. And then um, I love tapping into um, the wonder in my kids. So remembering, and, and maybe you don't have children at home, but can imagine just the the awe and the excitement and the magic from their eyes. And it doesn't take much. Like we drove around to see Christmas lights in um, our, our area um, this past weekend. And our two-year-old was just like, wow, you know, so excited just to see lights. And it was, you know, totally free activity didn't involve, you know, any, any fancy planning or anything. It was just driving around the neighborhood as a family after dinner. Um, and was just really this magical, fun experience that took no planning, no cost. It was simple. I like that. Um, I, if I may add, so all great Ooh. advice. Um, I think uh, putting our phones down, being more mindful and, and being <laughs> yeah. present, right? Like yeah. you said, watch watch our children or just interact with the people that you, you went to interact with. Um, and one thing I started doing is I actually schedule downtime for myself. Don't tell my friends and family. So there's blocks on my calendar where I say, I'm sorry, I can't get together at that point. I don't tell them why. I don't offer an excuse. I just, it is what it is. I'm, I, I'm unavailable and I'm unavailable for, you know, that I need that downtime. Otherwise it's just go, go, go for several weeks on end. No is a complete sentence. I think that's <laughs> a helpful thing to remember. And I call that mandatory me time. So that's what I've kind of like blocked into that it, it is like we need time to recharge our batteries, not only sleep, but emotionally, mentally, kind of there's actually seven different types of rest, which I won't be able to list all of them from memory, but it's important. It's not uh, self-care is an act of self-preservation. Yeah. And that's a perfect segue because you you were really so good at providing this holistic approach 
not only to yourself, but also to your patients and when it comes to diagnosis and management. Can you offer just some examples of how you like maybe proactively integrate this into your practice? Yeah. So I think a lot of it starts with uh, just listening, listening to what, you know, what the the core issues are. Um, I like asking patients, you know, as as you're coming in, what is your goal? Like, how do you want to feel? Like, where do you want to be? Um, and that I think helps frame the discussion. I also think I've realized in the last several years, you know, what a disservice kind of we've done for uh, in, in medicine for some time. And I think we've gotten a lot better in the last decade or so, but I've just kind of like conceptualizing our head as separate from the body, <laughs> oral hygiene, mental health. Like it's like, oh, that's different insurance. It must be different. Right. But that we are all, you know, we're one, um, we're one, not even one being, because I'm saying that and I'm thinking about our microbiome and how mm-hmm. exciting it is that we're learning so much about that. Um, but really, I think understanding and seeing how powerful restructuring my own habits has been um, in in learning things like self-compassion and how I really need good sleep um, personally. Like I am someone who needs a little more than the average person. Um, and um, nutrition, like it, it makes a difference and it moves the dial in um, our disease control, but more so it moves the dial on how we see ourselves and value ourselves and realize that, you know, our, our health and well-being is really important um, obviously to ourselves, but even more so to all of those that we interact around us too. All great advice. Yeah. Back when we used to have like written prescription pads, we could actually write out like a prescription for sleep or exercise or, you know, the basic things. Um, I actually still have one. Ah, all right. Yeah. Um, some of the folks over in lifestyle medicine, they have like a little prescription pad that has kind of the pillars, nutrition, sleep, mindfulness, you know, kind of what you would expect, right? Um, and kind of giving folks that extra help. And I love being a coach in the office, mm. you know, and kind of challenging. I'll sometimes put on like that life coach hat or that health coach hat and say, you know, how can we, how can we workshop that? Some of that's what I learned from you in training. Um, mm. So. Yeah. Spoiler alert uh, for our listeners, Dr. Wada trained at our fellowship program. So we've known, we've known each other for quite some time. <laughs> Um, all right. I always like this opportunity to get to know our guests a little more personally, or, or in this instance, to let our audience get to know you more personally. Uh, so would it be okay if we wrapped up with some more rapid fire questions? Let's do it. I'll put my, my pageant crown on. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. So uh, first one, what do you enjoy most about being an allergist immunologist? I love getting to know other human beings and helping them achieve their health goals. That's the best part of this job. Is there one particular uh, condition or, or type of cell mm. that you like more than others? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't have this on my bingo card when I went through training, but I really help. I really, really love helping those who aren't diagnosed yet, that they mm. are realizing that their body is, is say, like asking for help, you know, telling them through symptoms that stuff's going on um, and they don't know what's going on. Maybe their labs have been normal and we're trying to sort out where their immune system's going awry. Yeah, that's great. 
uh, let's say for whatever reason, you could no longer be an allergist and immunologist mm-hmm. or, or even have a career in medicine. So let's shift gears. What else would you do if you had to choose a career at this point in your life? I would be hosting my own cooking show with my daughter. This is our dream. My eight-year-old and I um, love cooking together. Uh, and she she's come up with some name for the show that is, is escaping me right now. But um, I, I love being in the kitchen. I love playing around with recipes and trying to find different swaps, you know, to change nutritional components or help for allergy um, reasons. And that's just my happy place. If I had to ask her to, to prepare a, a go-to meal for me, what would she go with? Oh, she just made a really excellent soup with our Thanksgiving like leftovers. So she chopped up the onions and the garlic and carrots and celery, mushrooms, um, potatoes, and made a really great turkey veggie soup. Oh, all right. That sounds delicious. Uh, Do you have any longstanding holiday traditions that you, you tend to look forward to every year? So I talked a little bit. We love driving around the neighborhood um, to look at Christmas lights as a family. Typically, we will uh, swing through the uh, the local coffee or, you know, chain um, to pick up some hot cocoa um, that my kids inevitably will complain is too hot and spill all over the the back seat. Um, We also really love curling up on the couch and uh, watching, um, you know, some of the old holiday classics like um, Rudolph and um, frosty. And those are my favorite memories. Yeah, that's great. So if you, uh, kids aside, so this is just for you, Dr. Water, what is your favorite Christmas movie or holiday movie? I should say. Ooh, uh, I really, I like love actually. I am Mm -hmm. a sucker for a rom-com. It's one that I love watching with my husband when the kids have gone to sleep. Um, and uh, I always love a little bit of British humor injected in too. So, yeah, I uh, we rediscovered that a couple of years ago. I think while wrapping presents, actually. My goodness, it's uh, it it sucks you in, doesn't it? Yeah, it's kind of delightful. It has its you know its flaws that people will point out, but I'm okay. I'm here for all of it. Yeah, it's it's been uh, often replicated, but rarely reproduced, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all right, ready for this one? Heavy hitter, heavy question coming your way. Eggnog, yay, or bah humbug? Ah, uh, bah humbug. For some reason, it, it's it been one of those things that just, I kind of get an, an ick. I try not to yuck someone else's yum, but that's one that I initially am like, ooh, no thanks. Yeah, I'm just right a little too it. rich and creamy. It's a, a, the texture. No, I'm not, not I'm okay with that. creamy kind of thing. Yeah. All right. So you've been a great sport. Last question, then I'll let you go. Uh, if you could send a holiday card to all of the millions of people living with allergic conditions or asthma, what message would you include and why? I think the important message I would love to share is that your health is is meaningful and taking care of your health is meaningful, not only to yourself and, and doing yourself and your body, you know, a good thing. But it's also impacting those around you as well. I think sometimes being a caregiver, especially, you know, I speak, you know, often many times to to people who look like me, right, moms um, and other caregivers that we sometimes neglect our own health. Um, And when we are able to take care of ourselves and our health, 
people are watching and they're listening and that causes a ripple effect um, and improves their health too. So even if you aren't in a place where you can think about doing stuff for you and being okay with that, at least think about how that that's going to help others until you get to that place and realize you're worthy of, of taking care of you too. That's, that's great. Dr. Wada, you provided amazing information today. Just, you know, little tips and analogies, and I'm going to borrow a lot of those sayings uh, from you if that's okay. And I'm sure this is going to be extremely helpful for all of our listeners. Did we miss anything? Is there anything else you'd like to add? Happy holidays. I'm, I'm going to enjoy it. Take a moment just to like sit in the excitement in whatever way you celebrate um, and realize, you know, it's not about the the fancy gifts or, you know, the, the perfect tree. It's really, you know, focus in on those human to human relationships. We're social species. Lean into it. It's wonderful. What a great way to end. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dr. Sukas. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode. Please visit www.aaai.org for show notes and any pertinent links from today's conversation. If you like the show, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you can receive new episodes in the future. Thank you again for listening.